179 of the Writing Life podcast from the National Centre for Writing, a weekly podcast for anyone who writes. I'm Steph McKenna, and it's Friday the 4th of February 2022 here in Norwich as I'm recording. It's also my first time without Simon Jones by my side, which is very strange indeed. It's all change here at NCWHQ, so stand by for new voices in the coming weeks and months. So on today's episode, I'm pleased to welcome translator and editor Anam Zafar in conversation with poet, novelist and translator Mina Kandasamy. Anam was mentored by Mina on our Emerging Translator Mentorships program last year, and that position was also supported by our Visible Communities program. Together, Anam and Mina are here to discuss translation as a kind of activism. So without further ado, I'll hand over to Anam and Mina. Uh, hello and welcome. Today I'm going to be in conversation with Anam Zafar, who is a translator in residence as part of the National Center for Writing's Visible Communities Residencies at Dragon Hall. So she spent a week uh, translating and we are going to find out more. I'm just going to introduce her before I introduce myself. Um, so Anam Zafar translates from Arabic and French. Her mission is to give sensationalized and under represented communities the space to tell their own stories on their own terms. Most recently, I had the opportunity to mentor her as part of the National Center for Writing's uh, 2020-21 Emerging Translators Mentorship. Uh, before that, she graduated in 2020 with an MA in Applied Translation Studies from the University of Leeds. She's on the Linguist Magazine's editorial board. Uh, that is Anam Zafar for you. Uh, I'm Amina Kandasamy. I'm a writer, novelist, and translator. Uh, I translate from Tamil to English, and I have translated a lot of wide-ranging work from the feminist novel of uh, Salma to the feminist essays of Periyar and the political speeches of uh, Tamil leader Tol Tirumavalavan. So that's a little bit about me. Uh, Anam, uh, this is your show, and uh, I want to ask you a lot of questions. Uh, why did you decide to pursue literary translation, especially as somebody who took uh, an MA from Applied Translation Studies? How do you feel the shift? Tell us more about this journey. Yeah, so uh, first of all, it's really nice to just have this have this conversation with you. And I suppose there's two, there's an easy answer and a complicated answer to why I decided to go down the literary translation route. So the easy answer is simply that I enjoyed I enjoyed studying translation uh, while I was an undergraduate student studying French and Arabic, which is why I then thought I'd I'd go on to the master's in translation. Um, yeah, so the easy answer is I simply enjoyed it and just the thought of never doing it again once I graduated made me sad. So I thought, okay, better, better carry on. But the complicated answer is that before I started the master's, um, I was already volunteering with a few organizations that work with refugees uh-huh. um, in Jordan, in Greece, mostly in the UK, where I live. And because I knew French and Arabic, which is uh, not the only languages that people seeking asylum in Europe speak, but a lot of them do speak either French or Arabic. Um, and because of that, as a volunteer, I kind of ended up doing a lot of interpreting for these various organizations Mm -hmm. and as I was because I was interpreting and just becoming so close to the stories of these people you know whether you know whatever reason I was interpreting for maybe they needed to speak with the local council 
maybe they needed to speak with a humanitarian worker in a camp, just, you know, lots of things and being so close to their stories. You know, it was a very, very emotional job. And even though I loved doing it, it was so exhausting. I kind of decided that I, for interpreting at least, I can only do it on a voluntary basis. I I just wouldn't be able to do it on a full-time yeah. paid basis because it was just so exhausting physically and, and emotionally. But, you know, I felt kind of honored to be able to hear these people's stories firsthand. And the more I got into this interpreting, the more the more the discrepancy mm-hmm. between the way that these people's stories are maybe portrayed in the media, it's, it's just so different, mm-hmm. you know, it's just the facts and the numbers. I wanted to really come into that because you you make it very clear right from the beginning of your translation work. Uh, you have this, like one of the reasons I personally would have picked you up for the mentorship with me was because you saw translation as a kind of activism. And you openly also said that, you know, you want to give, you know, allow sensationalized communities and underrepresented communities to tell their own stories. So how do you think the sensationalism works? And how do you think literary translation can counter that? So I think sensationalism to me is just a lot about, you know, kind of just what I was saying about how I felt about reading these new stories at the same time as hearing the the people's own stories. The sensationalism just felt like it was just hearing the, the things that are supposedly scary or shocking, just hearing the facts and not hearing context Maybe that's a big part of it. Just no context or no, mm-hmm. you know, it's not it's not even necessarily about having compassion or empathy, but just context, just knowing. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 You know, what is the reason behind this story? So that's why I started thinking, OK, you know, I want to carry on this activism and advocacy work. Mm-hmm. But as an interpreter, it's just physically does not seem possible for me. It's just way too exhausting even though I do do it on a voluntary basis, but just not all the time. Then I realized how much I enjoyed the written translation. And then, so then I just kind of started thinking, okay, well, how can I put these two things together? How can I find a sustainable way for myself to carry on being an advocate and an activist? Because I didn't want to burn out and the interpreting was making me burn out. And a really important thing with whatever cause you choose is not to burn out and not to give up. Yeah, yeah. So then I thought, well, I love translation. So, mm-hmm. you know, if I can find books where the authors are willing to speak about their experiences, then wouldn't it be good to to widen the their readership? Definitely. You know, it's a fascinating journey. It's really also fascinating because, on the, you know, uh, keeping in uh, keeping at the heart of things the activist component, the advocacy component, but also. Uh, it's like coming away from a certain bureaucratic language in which asylum seekers' stories are told, uh, traumatized people's stories are told, and coming into the language of literature where, you know, it's it's much more, of course, empath- there's a lot of empathy, but there's also much more character. There's, we know they're real people. We know that they're not, you know, something for a system to decide, you know, and we really, um, I really, I, it's, it's such a fascinating journey and also I'm very happy that you took this decision. Um, and my question to you is, um, what are you working on at the moment? Yeah, so I've I've got two projects, two simultaneous projects that I'm working on at the moment, and they're both very different. 
um, which is something I like, just having different things to work on. So they're both things that I've been working on during my residency here. I'm on my last day now. So what were you working on in your residency? Yeah, so what I was, what I've been working on is um, a Palestinian young adult novel um, by a Palestinian writer called Mahmoud Shoker, and uh, the English, the English working title of this is "Me, My Friend, and the Donkey," um, and it's kind of a detective adventure, but also with elements of fantasy in there um and mm-hmm. at its heart it's very simple it's it's uh, based on a true story actually of a real friend of Mahmoud's and something that did happen to them as they were ki- when they were kids mm-hmm. um which was that uh, Muhammad the author's friend um his donkey got stolen <laughs> his beloved pet donkey got stolen um so Mahmoud has turned this into a sort of adventure novel where they are they're, they're just trying their best to find this donkey, but they, you know, as as sad as the friend is about losing it, and that really comes across in the novel, like how devastated he is all the time, keeps having these dreams of the donkeys talking to him. It's There's also a lot of humor in there and the element of fun. Um, you know, these this group of friends kind of bands together and some of them take code names and are really mm-hmm. excited that they're acting as these detectives. So I just really liked this idea of a book about Palestinian childhood that mm-hmm. mentions a lot of places in Jerusalem as well. So it kind of brings Jerusalem to life in that way. And how does it feel, Anand, if I may be allowed to ask you this, how does it feel to translate something about Palestinian children in the backdrop of what's happening right now? Like, you know, I think more than 70 children have lost their lives in these last, uh, more than 200 bombs have been dropped, you know, like, uh, how does it feel to give life, breathe life into these characters who are children, even as you witness them dying in Palestine? Yeah, so, you know, I I kind of started on this project before the most recent events um, started happening um, in Gaza and in Jerusalem. So it's it's kind of this weird coincidence. And obviously I would have never, never wished what is happening to have happened but now that it is happening, it is it is this kind of strange dichotomy of, again, just going back to just reading the facts on the news and numbers of, you know, people mm. dying and just, you know, today, this side, bomb this side. You know, this, this is just the facts of what happened. Um, so, yeah, it just, it feels good. And, you know, I hope that someone will pick up this project and that it will be published. Um, it just feels good to to really be diving to zooming zooming in to the news and all of that backdrop and just zooming into this you know small group of characters tiny little world yes isn't it yeah yes. and and thinking you know let's let's actually bring these palestinian characters to life and talk you know talk about them like real human beings okay um, not just victims or not just something that's happening to them look True. at this you know this fully embodied story um, mm-hmm. let's think about these people as as real human beings you know anam uh, what made you what were the reasons for you to do this um, this mentorship this this week long residency at uh, dragon hall and also the previous time when you applied for an emerging translators mentorship yeah so the the reason i wanted to do this mentorship with you uh is because I'd I just graduated from my 
from my master's in translation, which was very focused towards becoming what we might call a commercial or a technical translator. So basically translating everything but literature. Um, so that, that is my job now. That's where I get my money. But you like to, it brings in the money, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, I do enjoy that as well. And that's what I do, yes. you know, as my job. But um, the real love is in the literature. But the, you know, we had maybe five or six weeks of a one hour or two hour class translating literature in that whole year of an MA. And there was no professional guidance about how to become a literary translator because that just simply wasn't mm -hmm. there, the purpose of that master's. So I kind of came out of the master's knowing that I still wanted to do that, um, but I literally knew no one who was a literary translator. I had no idea what to do. I just, that's, that is the, the pure and simple answer. I just had no idea what to do about the fact that I wanted to be a literary translator. Um, and it was Claire Story, um, who is a co-editor of World Kidlet, who told me about this, that this mentorship existed. Um, and it just seemed perfect, you know, just a chance to have one-on-one -on -one sessions with a much more established translator and someone who kind of shares shares the spirit of, you know, uh, activism through their work as well. For the listeners on this podcast, uh, I have had the pleasure of, you know, knowing Anam and actually working alongside her for the last six months, um, possibly beginning in September or October 2020 until February, March 2020. And it has been an incredible journey because uh, I am not, I'm not an Arabic writer or speaker and the texts uh, that she's translating are from the Arabic. But if one is just going to overlook the fact that, you know, we work in different language pairs, uh, but it's, it's, been, it's been such a enlightening, beautiful, uh, intimate uh, journey, even for me to, to see someone figure out their way, but also knowing that uh, there's so many ways in which um, uh, it's so beautiful to see a work, uh, a, you know, uh, words become art, uh, to see how, um, how, you know, by just pondering over things at the sentence level, at the larger structural level, uh, and to be knowing that, you know, there's some, somehow you're going to find a heartbeat there. And um, also, I, you know, uh, I'm, a, I'm also a teacher and, some, and, and taking so much pride in Anam's work, like that's, that's the most thing most of all. So, yeah, I'm really, really waiting for her work to, you know, see the light of the world, to, for people to hold this book in their hands, for this, you know, her translations to be nominated for all the prizes that's there. So, so yeah, that's all. Like that's how how involved I've become with her, and I'm sure that uh, readers are going to be so lucky to to see the kind of work that Anam is going to bring from the Arabic into the English, especially to the audience in the UK who do not uh, have much of you know, an option of reading much of translated text, but also diverse text. So um, I want to know, can you talk a little bit about the Syrian book? Yeah. Um, the Syrian mm -hmm. stories uh, that you're translating. And, yeah, definitely. Uh, and first of all, your editing helps my work massively. So <laughs> if there's if there's any any text that's becoming a work of art, then it's it's definitely with your with your help as well. Um, and that's something I really enjoyed about the mentorship, actually, just yeah, just being edited so closely and having that chance to really talk about the text with someone because that's something I really enjoy as well. Like mm -hmm. after doing my bit or as much as I can of the draft before I just need someone else to look at it, um, I find it really fun to 
then talk about it with someone else and, and really like go to the sentence level, as you said. So, yeah, it's definitely because of your editing as well. <laughs> no, no, this is not about giving credit. I want to, we, uh, not only me, but all your listeners also want to know about the city and yes, novel you're translating. Yes, so that's, that's the other project that I've got going on at the moment, my other translation project. So mm-hmm. this is a collection uh, in English, I'm calling it In the Tenderness of War. And it's by a Syrian female writer called Najat Abdus-Samad. Mm-hmm. It's a collection of stories, um, or let's call them non-fiction. It is non-fiction, so maybe we can call them a collection of accounts. The collection was published in 2015, um, and all of the stories were written by Najat between 2012 and 2014, I think, Um She's now actually living in Germany, but she wrote the stories while she was still living in Syria. Um, And each one is completely different, which is why I love the collection so much. Um, Each one gives a different perspective of the Syrian conflict um, from the point of view of someone that she met and spoke with while she was still in Syria, because as well as a writer, she's also a doctor, which I think is amazing to have the two. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as a doctor, you meet loads of people every single day. You're you're going to be talking to them, asking them why they've come to you. Um, And in Syria, she was also a a volunteer for a humanitarian organization. So, again, got to meet a lot of people. So I just wanted you to also share a little about Najat's style, isn't it? Like everything's a little bit like a vignette. It's like, um, you know, like it's changing the... Um, the perspective is constantly shifting from one set of characters yeah. to another. It's so fragmented. So could you comment a little bit on Najat's work as well? Because I find that um, so much different than, you know, let's say a Western novel or even creative nonfiction where you just live with two characters until the end of the book. Yeah, exactly. So as you said, they're kind of like vignettes um, or snapshots. Mm-hmm. Each one is really, really short. You know, the shortest one is about five lines long. And then the longest is about four pages long. So it's, they're all really short. They're just a snapshot of, you know, one situation that a character finds themselves in. Every single story is from a different character's point of view. So there's men, women, children. Um, some of the stories are in first person, some are in second, some are in third. She's playing with all of these things too. At the same time. So she's playing, with, she's playing with everything. And I think that really amplifies the reason she wanted to write this collection and I was speaking to her about this you know and the reason is just to show look at all these different experiences that people are having you know we may think of the Syrian conflict as one just monolithic Mm -hmm. concept Mm -hmm. but actually look how different each of these stories are even in the way they're written which just you know highlights the fact that you can't you can't just think about the conflict as one thing where everyone is having the same experience yes. because they're not. Multitude and... of voices, very polyphonic. Yeah, um, th- yeah. that's true. And yeah, uh, uh, I want to know a little bit more. And this is for others who want to, would perhaps want to become literary translators as well. Um, and uh, like, what are your new, what are your plans ahead? You know, like, uh, what do you plan? Yeah. Text? Are you going to be seen in some panels? just like to know more about what awaits you yes yeah, so i'm i'm looking out for opportunities where i could maybe talk about these books more mm-hmm. um at the end of the the ncw mentorship um we had a chance to kind of film a little video of ourselves talking about our, our own work and then reading out a sample of our translation so 
I read out a couple of very short stories from In the Tenderness of War and I realized I really like that actually, that kind of performative aspect of being a literary translator. So the plan is to find more opportunities to do that really, more opportunities to maybe present my work, read out some samples. Um, I know there's the Translators Allowed YouTube channel, which I have my eye on. Um, I know there's a couple of festivals where you are able to kind of uh, read out bits of your work and, and pitch your work in, in that kind of way. So yeah, one, one part of the plan is trying to find more places to actually read, read this work. Mm -hmm. um, obviously I have my eye on some publishers um, who I'd like to pitch to. Um, another thing that a lot of emerging translators uh, try to do is to get some shorter pieces published in some journals. Will you tell us a bit about your translation practice? Like, uh, do you translate by hand? Do you translate directly in the machine? I mean, these are just questions that... Um, yeah. Do you translate every day or do you translate in one mad phase? Um, I try and do it steadily because I'm, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm not the mad phase kind of person. I just... I burn okay. out. I need like at least everyone makes fun of me for how much sleep I need first of all. So that just says <laughs> that just says what my what my work style is, slow and steady. And I think you know this that I'm slow. Um, <laughs> so I I do everything on the computer. Um, I know some people people do translate by hand. People do it in in all sorts of ways. I think I started off what doing it by hand, but the MA kind of taught us to try and just just speed things up you know especially in the commercial translation world it's all about speed mm -hmm. and actually that has helped me um so in the literary yeah, translation yeah. yeah so now what i try and do is i kind of have my pdf of the book uh up on one half of the screen and then i have my word document on the other side of the screen so i can kind of look at them at the same time um and if anyone wants to check out anton her wrote a uh, a piece on his blog about how he does all his translation stuff practically um, mm -hmm. and I I basically do that because it just sounded like a good way to work so um, yeah just working with pdf on one side word on the other side and this is a thing that I stole from Danny Hahn as well which he wrote about in his translation diary for Charcoal Press Lovely. so he does he does a, a first draft where you just write a really literal translation and copy and paste into the English version, any words that you you don't know straight off your head. So the first draft is this, this like horrific literal translation with loads of Arabic or French words still in it. And then the second draft is just going through and looking up in the dictionary all of those words that are still not in English. And then the third stage is going through the whole thing and actually making it sound like literature that someone would actually want to read. And then, yeah, then it's passing it on to other people uh, to edit, reading it again myself after not having looked at it for a few days. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it's it's just lots of stages, but I enjoy it. I like that. Well, I have a slightly more crazy way of doing this, which is I paste the whole Tamil text on like notes or word, word or, yeah. uh, you know, Apple has some notes, right? And then... Every sentence, I replace it with the English sentence so that when I'm finished, the only yeah, the no, English that's, remains. Yeah, that's a good way because then you know how much you have left. <laughs> and then all, <laughs> then all yeah. the time is gone. So, yeah, so yeah, of course, it, it does mean that I spend much more time on the on a, each sentence because I just have to get it right because then I'm not going to see it afterwards. Yeah. But, no. but 
there's a sense of closure. So by the end of the document, then the the Tamil just doesn't exist. Like it's been it's been vaporized by my translation. So yeah, whatever works for anyone. But definitely, I think for a novel and uh, for the longer pieces, this this really does work. I just wanted to ask you something else as well. How do you keep yourself motivated? I don't know. That sounds very stilted, but yeah, I mean, like what I what I want to what I want to say is that uh, what makes you eager to look at the page each day. Like one of the things that I felt uh, was a very successful strategy was the fact that you were working on two things at the same time. Yeah, because if if you know you feel stuck with one, you can kind of move to the other one, mm-hmm. um, and that's just something that I found always in my life I just like doing several things at the same time which is one reason why I wanted to go freelance um so yeah one one thing is to have more than one project going at the same time whatever mood you're in you can kind of pick that one to, to work on um but there's a lot of stuff around around the translation the actual translation work that keeps me going um so one one thing I've learned is that even though the translate the act of translation itself is maybe a solitary thing. It's just kind of you and the computer or you and the book and the computer. Being a translator doesn't have to be lonely. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I've realized that the translation community is actually really welcoming. Um, you know, when, whenever I've introduced myself as an emerging translator on any sort of online platform, uh, and it has all mostly been online since I started doing this during the pandemic, but everyone is just always really welcoming. And if you tell them that you're you're kind of new to this, you know, so many people are just willing to share advice or send opportunities your way. Um, one major thing for me has been uh, the other NCW mentees who are in my group. Uh, we still are all in touch. We have a WhatsApp group where we share, you know, if someone has something to celebrate, we'll all celebrate it together. If something didn't quite go as well as someone hoped, we'll all kind of commiserate together. <laughs> if there's ever anything we're worried about, like, oh my God, what what do I reply to this publisher? Or, you know, what, what do I do about this? We'll all kind of brainstorm together. And we also try and meet up once a month on Zoom to workshop our translations together and, and edit each other. Um, so that sense of community and just knowing you're not alone um, is the main thing, to be honest. No, I wish I yeah. had that when I was starting out. This is really, really, really beautiful. It's lovely. So, Anam, uh, I want to ask you a little bit of um, kind of what do you what do they call it at the end of podcast kind of thing? This rapid fire round of questions. So, what's your favorite uh, Arabic uh, novel? So, it changes all the time. Okay, <laughs> it's 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 usually the one. I'm reading right now. <laughs> um, so the, the one I'm reading right now, uh, which, which yeah, if, if I'm enjoying the book I'm reading right now, it just becomes my favorite. So oh. I'm reading a short story collection by a Jordanian uh, writer called Basma al-Nasur. Okay. It's not in English yet. So her, the uh, Arabic title is Awja'i Kulliha, which means all my pain, if we're going to translate it literally. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I've just really got into short stories at the moment. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, and um, is there any text, any literary text or literary, uh, um, no, a book in translation, a novel in translation uh, that you've read and felt like, oh, I can do this, you know, like, was was there any specific book like that? Um, well, if we go back to kind of why I want to translate, 
Um, there's a book I read recently called Shatila Stories, um, which is translated by Nashwa Gawanlok, who is also a past mentee, actually. Yes, yes, I've read that book. Yes, it's an amazing book, isn't it? Yeah, so it's it's collaboratively written by a group of refugees who were living in Shatila Cab in Lebanon at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and Nashua actually wrote a really good article about how the whole book came to be, um, which you can find online because it's it's just a really amazing story. But, you know, I read that and I, I just thought this is literally why I want to translate. Like this, this is the book, the kind of book that, you know. Oh, it's, those stories are really nice, you know. They're like one, on the one hand, I I would really uh, recommend this book highly to those who are listening to us. This is called uh, Shatila Stories, brought out by Is It Paving Press? Yeah, uh, and yeah. Uh, it's it's really amazing because it's about people's uh, creativity and also you know the very gritty life. But all, you know it's 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 amazing. Yeah. It's amazingly layered and it's a work of many hands, but also reads like you know a, a unified book. So yeah, uh, I think it's it's all kinds of wonderful, and it's uh, it's not about any kind of voyeuristic storytelling. It's actually people telling their own stories, you know, and exactly and using exactly fiction to you know just hone it a little bit here and there. I think so. I think it's it's fascinating. Thanks for thanks for talking about that book, Anna. Is there anything you would like to share before we you know say bye? Just if there's any other emerging translators listening, or you know, people thinking you know, do I want to be a literary translator? Um, I'd just say, if you can find a mentorship, even if it's just informal, even if you just find someone who, you know, is not part of a scheme, but is is happy to, to give you advice about, you know, being in this translation industry, then just go for any sort of mentorship opportunity that you can find. Because you don't you won't realize the things that you don't know <laughs> and you need someone to tell you what you don't know yeah which which is what what happened with me there were so many things i didn't know that's the first thing and the second thing is just to talk to as many other translators as you can everyone is very friendly and it just the whole thing becomes much less scary the more people you know because you realize that everyone is going through the same thing mm-hmm. But also make sure you actually set aside time to translate because that's the reason you're doing it right. You can get caught up in just watching webinars and reading all the asymptote articles, which is fun in itself. But, you know, remember to translate regularly so that you remember what you're doing. You know, remember what's the point of all of this. Asymptote is very sticky, isn't it? You just start reading and then you're going from one to another. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> it's like, I think it's the equivalent of Paris Review interviews or something. You know, you just, you start reading them, then you're lost in lost in all their lives. Um, thank you, Anam. It was lovely talking to you. Yeah, you too. Thanks for this. Um, thanks to the NCW for hosting us and for giving Anam this beautiful opportunity to the publishers uh, who are listening. Please do uh, hear from Anam and, you know, put out the stories of the writers that she's translating. They're really enormously important works and also gems of you know literary work from the little that i have seen thank you so much anam take care thank you thank you very much thanks for listening and thanks to anam amina for the conversation if you've got any questions or you want to get in touch you can find us on twitter and instagram at writers center we're on facebook and if you visit our website nationalcenterforwriting.org.uk you can sign up to our weekly newsletter and find out more about our events workshops and writer opportunities
Please do subscribe to the podcast and give us a rating and a review because it helps other people to find us. Thanks again. Keep writing and I'll catch you on the next episode.